This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willer for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Playing old games is hard. Ow! There's gotta be a better way! Have you tried converting it? Converting it? That's right, Bob. Converting is the best of both worlds. Your favorite nostalgic games with a touch of modern game design. Wow! Thanks, gang! This is just what I need. And with that, welcome to the 467th episode of the Mr. Mark Podcast. Tonight we discuss converting old game settings to new systems. Along the way, we'll take your comments, examples, and suggestions live from the Chatroom for Life on Twitch before jumping into the after show. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. And I am Old Man Logan. Doing podcast intros is hard. Ow. <laughs> oh, man. That was a good one. That was a good no. one. Nice job, everyone. Doing podcasts is hard. I didn't hit the go live button. I thought he okay. did. All right, that's 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 what I was wondering. When it comes on, just start okay. laughing. Son of a! Are we doing this? Are we starting over? Um, sure. Why? Um, no, let's not. Uh, what you call it? Let's not torture Rob and having to fix. No, anymore. we won't torture Rob. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, good times. Oh. Good times. Well, uh, for you, for you who are listening. For you who are listening to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher, um, no worries for you. You got the whole experience. For our friends in the um, Slack room live, uh, they just missed our awesome opening. Um, so, But we're not going to go back and rehash that. So, um, Bob, why don't you take some temperatures? Yeah, hey, temperature check time. See how everybody's feeling. I'm feeling a little embarrassed. But, Phil, how are you? Um. I am better than I was last week. I think last week I was um, coming down from uh, the shock of my taxes. Um, I am through, worked through that. I had therapy today, uh, which was also very good. Um, actually, it was a really good therapy session, very positive. And uh, so uh, mentally, I'm feeling um, I'm feeling very good. And physically, nothing hurts today. So bully on me, like I'm doing all right. Jer, how about you? Pretty good. A little tired. Um, mostly just because I didn't get to bed late last till late last night. I sat down and made the mistake of looking up quotes online and got sucked into that YouTube thing that happens when you start watching <laughs> clips for movies on YouTube. And suddenly I, uh, it was like nine o'clock and I looked up again. It was a uh, quarter to two in the morning and I was like, whoops. So, but other than that, doing pretty good. Um, looking forward to having a good week. And uh, that's about it, Bob. Yeah, so physically, um, starting to feel better. Uh, new chiropractor and new um, massage therapist go a mile towards uh, making my neck and shoulders and back feel better. So um, that's that stuff's going better. Um, mentally, um, feeling pretty good at the moment. Um, had a rough weekend. Uh, I won't go into tremendous detail, but um, we had a death in family. My sister passed away Saturday uh, suddenly. So. It's been, uh, it was a difficult weekend, um, and yesterday it was, it was a little bumpy still, but, um, you know, got to keep moving, so doing the thing. And uh, that's it. So we can move on to the announcements. 
we do have a few announcements. Um, I'll roll through them pretty quick. Uh, reminder, no show next week. Um, and by that, I mean no live show on the 22nd. Um, we all will be um, attempting to uh, shorten our lifespans through the use of meat. Um, uh, we're all going out to dinner um, on uh, on Tuesday. So no live show on the 22nd. And um, that means no recorded episode on the 29th. Um, for those of you who are listening to us live, uh, we will be back on the 29th. And for those of you who are listening to us recorded, we'll be back on the 5th of um, April. There's a one-week lag, everybody. I think, I think you've all yes. figured that out by now. Um, next one up is um, Stage Heroism Kickstarter. Just launched today. Um, I think this is uh, right up Jerry's alley, an RPG of super heroism and super failure inspired by Venture Brothers. Inept heroes battle equally inept villains in this game of hilarious heists, unfulfilled legacies, and absurd plans for world domination gone delightfully awry. Written by uh, Mike Myler and John Kennedy and is being produced by a friend of the show, Craig Campbell um, and Nurburger Games. Cool. So shout out to them. Good luck on your Kickstarter. I, Bob, do you know where they are right now? They have already surpassed their three thousand uh, dollar uh, asking uh, number. They're at thirty six forty seven with twenty nine days to go. So they're doing good. <clears throat> Bully for them. Good thing. Yep. The next one came across my email, and I had to put it on the list for tonight. Um, <laughs> we're going to credit Victor Wyatt um, <laughs> since we're friends on Kickstarter, and I see what Victor backs. Um, the Real Thing Kickstarter. The Real Thing is a self-contained, story-driven, pen-and-paper tabletop role-playing game inspired by the music of Faith No More. Specifically, we've drawn significant story elements and inspiration from Faith No More's album from 1989 entitled The Real Thing. Oh yeah, folks, that's <clears throat> it. That's the story right there. Faith No More, the RPG. I'm still not I am sure excited I about that. I am excited about this because back in my college days, I did one hero, two villains, and a plot line all from two Faith No More albums. So, <laughs> isn't one hero, two villains not a YouTube video? Don't sort of, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, Less punching more fisting. Anyway, um, so go ahead. Anyway, um, good luck to them. I'm yes. I'm in the same camp as Bob. I don't think I completely understand exactly what the game is. There is on the Kickstarter page. I think there's a link. You can see the quick start for the game. So you can mm -hmm. definitely dig into it. I didn't have time to dig into it because I literally got this as we were setting up for the show. And I was like, oh, yeah. I have to put this on <clears throat> um, on the air. So good luck to them. Um, yeah. I, you know, I mean, I'm I like I mean, I'm, I was a fan of Faith No More. I have um, the real thing on cassette. Um, and I definitely was, you know, into them in 1989, still like them today. Um, but I'm impressed. Somebody is going to go the distance and do a whole, um, what's called would, would, is going to do a whole game based on it. So they are, they are at 8,000 out of 5,000 for funding. Kick ass. They, they've already yeah. uploaded, uh, playlists for each chapter playbooks. Um, if they reach 30,000. They're going to have a tarot deck for all of the moves in the game. I mean, right. you know what? Go. I mean, just go, go, go. I'm, yeah. I'm, 
I don't know I, what to do I, with it, but I like I'm immensely curious by it. So I, I already backed the PDF. If they get to the tarot deck goal, I would definitely back the back the the the, the thing. You don't be in cards. I got to have faith. Don't back tarot deck cards. There's no more. I mean, I'm I'm down. I'm <laughs> totally down now. I don't know what to do with that, but I'm in. Okay, yep. cool. I think we are. Um, uh, what's yeah, called? That should do it for the announcements. Which then brings us to our wonderful feature segment of Workshop. Bring it on, Phil. Do it. <clears throat> workshop. Workshop. We're converting old games. We're taking an old game, putting it in a new system. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. You're going to get all the stuff from a new game, but getting into a touchback on the old nostalgia stuff without it sucking. We're going to talk about how to do it all here. Where? In the Workshop. And don't that, was, that was bad. That was, that was, that was a tough one, guys. <laughs> they're here man no i know but i mean like you know there are a lot of the other ones that are like you know pretty easy to do this one some kind of a mess anyway okay any any opening you can walk away from i think is what they say right right yeah something like that <laughs> uh the reason we're here is because sometimes we have games that have a really great setting but we want to convert them to something that we enjoy playing more than the original mechanics yes exactly and of course, we're going to need some definitions in order for us to get into a deeper discussion about this. So we're going to have to do this. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. Yeah, Phil, what do you got for us? We have a few uh, definitions for tonight. Um, we're going to start <clears throat> with friend of the show, Jason Pitt's four structures. Um, got a link in the show notes for you in case you're not familiar with this. We've ha- I think we've done it a bunch of times, but I'm going to define them anyway um, for tonight. Always a good idea. So uh, let's start off with system, right? Those are our rules and procedures for play. Setting, the fictional context for play, right? Situation, this is one of my favorite um, defined words, consists of the inciting incidents and the purpose of play, i.e., what do the players do in this game? Okay. And then the last one is subtext, which consists of the deeper meanings and symbols associated with the game. I don't know if every game has subtext. Probably does. Um, some of it will be intentional. Some of it will be um, how people have you know interpreted and played the game. But anyway, I, I think, I think the there. subtext becomes part of what makes it challenging to convert games from one to the other. Because when you convert from one system to another, that's the part you sometimes lose because of the way games are designed. Absolutely. We're going to talk about, about we're definitely yep, going to talk about that tonight as well. Yep. Um, and you're hundred percent correct. Subtext yep. is subtext is tricky. Um, and we'll get into it in a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're going to use these terms system setting situation and subtext as we talk tonight um, so that we can separate what a game actually is, right? When we're talking about the system versus the setting versus the situation, et cetera. Okay. <clears throat> couple more, uh, I think just one more term for tonight. Conversion, the process of changing or causing something to change from one form to another. For role-playing games, when we talk about conversions, we're talking about taking something like a character, a campaign, a whole game, and changing it from one system to another um, could be one setting to another, one situation to another. Maybe subtext, we'll talk about that a little more. Subtext is a little more nuanced than that. But converting, meaning that we're taking it from one place and we're putting it into another. All right. So old games still exist, and most of them are in Jerry's basement. And we can just go play them when we want to play them. But Jerry, talk about why we might want to convert old games. Well, I'm going to start by saying 
you could still play older games with their existing rule set. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, the games were built to be played a certain way, and most of them are still fun to play that way. But sometimes you want to do something different. Uh, there's nothing wrong with playing games that way. We talked about doing that back in August in episode 442, playing the oldies. So if you still love to play an older game the way it is, go play it that way. However, with some games, we might not like all four structures that we have. and might have a desire to change one or more of them to something different to make the game more enjoyable for us and our group. So our focus for tonight is going to be about converting systems. But before we dive deeper into that, let's take a moment to recognize that we can convert any of the four structures and what it's going to mean when you convert one of those structures. Yeah. So starting with system, when you convert the system, that is you're changing the mechanics of the game out for another system. So this isn't house ruling or hacking a system, right? Like you can house rule and hack a system. That's not a conversion, right? That's just you amending the rules. We're talking about a, like swapping out one system for another. Like for instance, you could convert D6 Star Wars to Savage Worlds. Let me be clear before people yell at me on the internet. I'm not saying convert D6 Star Wars to Savage Worlds. I'm saying you could do that. Yes. Okay. There're going to be a lot of Star Wars D6 fans who who took umbrage at that example. I'm just I'm 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 just calming them down now before it, it comes back on us. Okay. Good, Jer. That's okay. I've run Savage World. I've run Savage Star Wars using Lego many many times at conventions, so I got no problem with it. But I play both. When you, but however, when you convert the setting, you're going to be changing the fictional background of the game from one to another. For example, you can take your Greyhawk campaign and convert over into, say, Spelljammer. Which could be cool as hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. If you're converting the situation, you are changing what the characters are doing in the game, right? So, um, for example, in you could take Cyberpunk 2020. Um, where, you know, you're normally street runners, right? You know, running, doing jobs kind of, and just everybody works instead as a, as a REO meat wagon team. Yep. Love that name. It's like, yes, I, it's one of my favorite, one of my favorite inside jokes in the original cyberpunk game. REO Death meat the wagon. trauma team. Death the trauma team. Anyway. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, but perhaps the trickiest is going to be converting the subtext of the game. This is challenging because the subtext is often tied into the other three and changing just it with the others might not be possible. Um, but you can do something like take a fantasy game that's being about colonialism and turn it into a game about building communities. Um, you're changing the basic subtext of what the game is supposed to be about. So Your mileage will, will vary with that one. Oh, very much so. Yep. Okay, so you are not limited to changing one of the four structures, right? You can change multiple ones um, at all at the same time, right? Though at some point, you're probably going to lose what the old game was in the conversion, right? So if I change like system setting and situation, are we even really playing the same game anymore? Right? Yeah. Like, but for the sake of this discussion, we're going to focus on converting the system. And we're going to talk about it as if you were only changing just the system. Mm-hmm. When we talk about converting systems. There are several reasons, all of which slightly overlap each other. Um, and any one of these could be why you might want to do this. Yeah. So for instance, you might have issues with the old system, right? For any number of reasons, there's something you don't like about the old system. Um, it could be the whole system. Like you just don't like the mechanics for this game, period. Um, or it could just be parts of the system. Like you're not overly fond of their combat system, whatever. Um, 
so regardless, you you just there's something about the rules as written in the original game that rub you the wrong way, and you would really enjoy this game more if it just wasn't with these rules. The next thing is you might just want to have more modern mechanics. Maybe the old system is fine, but it lacks some of the modern aesthetics that we enjoy. Um, you might want to play the setting, situation, subtext in a system that has those things. Um, if it's a game where you'd, where you'd appreciate um, less mechanical combat and more nuance, you might want to play it in something like Fate or um, even Powered by the Apocalypse or something like that. Um, role-playing games have come a long way, and while there's nothing wrong with the older systems, there's often different styles of play with the new ones that might fit your particular play style better. Um, you know, finally, you might just, um, it may not even be a modern system. You might just like another system better, right? Mm-hmm. You're just mm-hmm. a fan of a system. Like, you just really like uh, Cortex, right? You really just like Cortex. You love it. You want to just play everything in it. I should have just said Savage Worlds because this is how all Savage World um, players are, right? You're just a fan of the system. You want to play every game in Savage Worlds. Um, and you would just like to play this setting situation and this subtext in that favorite system. And I partially tease our Savage Worlds fans, but having played Savage Worlds and knowing a bunch of Savage Worlds um, GMs and stuff, that is absolutely true. Like Savage Worlds mm-hmm. GMs will jam everything into Savage Worlds if possible. Yeah. Jerry, you've been there. It's yeah. Oh, well, it's 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 still a good default system. If if I if somebody wants to try something, that's going to be one of my default systems. It's not perfect, but it handles certain play styles well. And um, you know, my feeling on Savage Worlds, it's a lot of fun for one shots. I don't particularly like it for long campaigns, but I like it a lot for one shots. You know, I'll go um, with you on that because for yep. many many years, it was one of my go to convention. Mm-hmm. Um, like if I was looking for games to play at a convention. I would frequently um, look for Savage Worlds games. One, because it is pretty quick and it go, you know, the um, the game plays quickly. And two, um, Savage Worlds GMs are often known for um, really going over the top in terms of yep. making making some impressive looking tables. I have played at some incredible looking. Oh, I've seen some uh, tabletops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like Phil said. It doesn't necessarily have to be a new system that you are converting to. Like you said, if you have a system that you really like, let's yeah. say you're like, you know, I really want to play Gangbusters, but Gangbusters, the system is just not good. So, Makes my soul. But fun. I'm a huge fan of the D6 system, for example, say. You could convert Gangbusters to D6 and go. Totally could. Like, you know, so whatever, whatever, whatever raises your boat. <laughs> I mean, there's literally a whole community out there that converts every setting into D and D five E and they love it. Yeah. Yeah. And um if you love I it, see those things all it. the time. Yeah. And people are having fun with it. So all right. So now that we have some reasons behind why we might convert a game from one system to another, Phil, let's talk about how do we do this. Oh boy. Yeah. Cool. Um there are many ways to convert over an old game. Um we're gonna talk about one way to do it by way of we have to, you know, we're time bracketed on how long we can talk about this. So we're going to talk about one methodology for doing this, but there's really, you can come at it from a variety of ways. Right. But before you roll up your sleeves and do your own conversion, I'd recommend first checking to see if someone out there did beat you to it already. Um, Especially if you're like me and play a lot of Savage Worlds, chances are somebody already savaged it often multiple times. Um, And depending on the system, somebody may have done that conversion um, especially with something like Fate, 
or even Cortex these days. And in many cases, these conversions might be exactly what you're looking for, and you can download it and start playing right away. For example, if you wanted to play Star Frontiers in Savage Worlds, there are at least three, three versions of it that I know of. Um, when I ran Savage Eberron, I had three different books in front of me because I liked the way each of them did one thing differently and cobbled them together. But it's a great way to start is just look to see what somebody else has done. Even if you don't want to use their conversion, you may find good ideas um, of what to find. And you may find, sometimes you'll find ways to take that one thing you were having trouble with. You might like everything else you've done, but if there's one fiddly bit uh, in that, in that uh, situation or that subtext, they may have found a way to do that in a way that you can use. So I recommend just go out and look for whatever systems you've got. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> All right. So what if there's not a conversion out there for your game um, or one that you like? Like, let's say you've looked at a few and you're like, eh, I would do it differently. How do you convert a game from one system to another? We're going to uh, we're going to go into some examples when we get into the roundtable later in the uh, in the segment. But for now, we're going to just kind of step through a high level general methodology. So here's our list of steps. Well, first, it's best to identify the source game, which is going to be the old game you want to convert, and identify the destination game, the game you want to convert it to. Um, you might have already had the destination system in mind, especially if you're interested in a specific system, but you may just want to convert it to a newer system and not have one picked out. In that case, think about the setting, the situation, the subtext of the source game, and consider how it's going to fit. Is this a game of furious combat or a game of deep investigation? or anything in between. Yeah. And then think about the destination games that do something similar. Most generic systems have their own feel. And so you're looking to match the system up with the right feel for that particular system. Exactly. Um, you know, fate has a particular feel to it, right? Mm -hmm. Like fate games feel like fate games. Um, is that the feel that you want to go to? Um, I, you know, I, I, we mentioned, you mentioned investigation, um, you know, investigation to me is a is an indicator like, should we do this in gumshoe? Yep. Right. That's my first, you know, if this game is all about mysteries, my first question is, will this game work in gumshoe? So, yeah. And that's, again, if you don't have something picked out, like you said. Okay. So now that you know what the destination system is, go back to the source system, start looking it over and figure out what parts of the game made it exciting for you. Right. Like, look at the, like, look at the system. You're going to be able to, so you're going to be able to convert over the setting and situation by just basically, you don't even have to convert the setting, right? Like the setting is the setting, like read, like just keep it. And same thing with the situation, right? Like whatever the players are supposed to do, that's what they're going to do in your new game. But look through the system and figure out what parts were exciting. Like, are there any highlights at all? Um, are there things you're indifferent about? Are there things that you blatantly did not enjoy in the system? So the things that you find exciting or interesting are the things that you want to work on converting. The things that you're indifferent to, they don't need to be converted, but if you do convert them, that's like just bonus. And the things that you didn't like are the things that you are looking for the destination system to do better, right? So figure out what those things are that you don't like and when looking at the destination system, actually make sure that the destination system does a better job at those things. Yep. That, that's something that sometimes happens is that we see people convert something over and they feel like the game doesn't work because the destination system loses a little bit of what made the game special to them in the first place, that kind of nostalgia trap. 
So for converting a system, you want to get a good understanding of how the destination system itself works. And so this is going to require some sister mastery. And you may want to find some people who are skilled in that system and ask for advice. Then take that thing you want to convert and find a mechanic in the game that emulates the thing that you liked from the original game and then create that conversion into the new system. You're going to do this with all the things that were important to you along the line. Um, and this might take some time and it's probably going to take some trial and error. Um, you may end up deciding that partway through this, that the system doesn't work, you may want to shift to something else or you may need to house rule something. Not all systems are going to convert over smoothly and that's okay. Feel free to work with them. Yeah. Um, finally, and I'm going to, I'm going to suggest this. You, you all will decide if you need to follow it or not. You should play test this, mm-hmm. right? Some people are going to choose to do their conversion and then do some separate play testing, work up some scenarios, make some characters, just try things out to make sure it works. Others of you are just going to start your campaign with the conversion and hope for the best. That's okay. Just understand that without playtesting, you may need to make some on-the-fly tune-ups as you start out. So you get it off the ground, you get like into the first, you know, adventure, and you're like, wow, this converted rule doesn't work at all. Pause, fix it, or fix it between games, whatever, and then keep going. If you're okay with that, sure, don't playtest. But if that is going to be a disruption to your players, then I, I recommend you take it out for a play test or two. And if I can, I would say that uh, this is where if you have a uh, friendly local game store that, that has open tables available, this is a good time to play test stuff. Just toss it out there for you to play. Because uh, if you're not doing it for your campaign, it doesn't matter. Um, we're lucky in Buffalo that in the before times, we had Savage Sundays, Day of Fate, Day of Cortex. We did a bunch of different kind of open game days where people came and ran different things. Um, and that was a good way to try different games. When I was still trying to convert things to Savage Worlds all the time, I ran a bunch of one shots there that were just kind of, I've got an idea, we're going to toss these out there and see how they work. Um, and it was a good way to play, but because they were all one shots, it was, um, as the queen will say, it's all temporary and you can run, like, you can drive them like you play them. I wouldn't necessarily say that conventions are the best place to, t- to try your play test. You should play test before you take it to a convention. Because people are coming there to play a game. They're expecting to sit down and have a full experience. Unless you're putting it on the convention sheet as just a play test. Um, yeah. and there are or if you're, running it off, if you're running it off books for friends at the yeah. convention, that would be the other yeah. okay. I mean, I'll be honest. I've been to Con on the Cob, and there, there's always a half a dozen GMs there that have right on their sheet that they're just play testing a game. And you know you're going to sit down and try something out. And those could be a lot of fun. Um, and that might not be the worst way to do it because you'll get a lot of different input, especially for people that aren't necessarily your regular group of players. And you may find things that you don't expect that, that work or don't work. So just some suggestions on if you don't want to play test with your regular group, there's lots of options out there once, um, once we're through this global pandemic. So Yeah. I, um, I want to just go back and touch on what you were saying about, yeah. like, we were very high level about just, like, find the mechanic and convert it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of that is going to be because every game is different. Um, but what you're really looking for is game systems tend to, um, when you really look at the rules, right? Game systems tend to do a few things, right? There are, you know, skill checks. There are combat, you know, roles, which are really just a complex version of skill checks, those kinds of things. As you understand 
that destination system, when you're doing the conversion, you're looking for something that's um, analogous to, you know, that rule um, in the, in the, in the destination set so that you can kind of tweak it to, you know, to be the rule that you need. Again, we're going to go into this in way more depth when we get to the round table, as we actually are going to talk about some games that we want to convert um, and give some examples of how we might do that. But what I wanted to, um, I didn't want to just make it sound like, yeah, and then you just magically convert it. It, it is, <laughs> like you said, there's like, you got to do some looking and then you got to like write it up, look at it. Does it work? You know, uh, I don't know. And this is where, um, going back to what you were saying at the top, this is where looking at other people's conversions are great. Because if you look at other people's conversions, you can be like, oh, well, it seems like when people do um, traits for species in fate, you know, they tend to do them as some combination of aspect and stunt. Yeah. Cool. I should also do an aspect or stunt for the species that I want to convert in my game. Yep. That's um, that. That's what we're I, I, I didn't feel like we didn't feel like we did a great job of explaining it. We're going to get into it in more depth in just a few minutes. While we're on that topic, though, I want to add one more thing and understand that, especially if you're converting older games, part of the fun that people had with older games were the very clunky mechanical parts of the game. And as you convert to new systems, you may find yourself losing that mechanical ability of the game. And that may be good or that you may find yourself wondering what's missing. And a lot of times that I've talked to people that have converted games, it's that they what they enjoyed for all of its you know, lumps and bruises were the mechanical systems. If you try to convert Middle-earth role-playing over into D&D 5e, even the excellent Adventures of Middle-earth system they did, you're going to be missing those ridiculous critical hit charts and the way you built characters with stacks of skill points and all of that, um, which might be an improvement, might not. Some people may find that they feel like it doesn't feel the same way because it doesn't have all of those kind of heavy, clunky mechanics. So when you're converting over, be aware that might be something you, you find that you're missing and you might look for a game that is more mechanical or less mechanical, depending on what you're looking for. But that's a common thing I see with people that convert systems over is that the old game was so mechanical that when you move over, you lose some of that feel of the game for better or for worse. It's not a yeah. bad thing or a good thing, just something that you, but it's something I think we should be aware of because that is one of the things that you see when you convert to more modern game systems. So I think this is a really good point. Um, and this again goes to having some system mastery about the destination system. So mm -hmm. I'll give another example. Let's say that you are playing Pathfinder yep. and you want to convert it to Fate. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that's going to be missing is going to be fiddling with your character. Yep. Fate characters are not as fiddly. Like when you level up, you have a very limited number of things that you actually do when it's time to advance your character and fate. Whereas in um, Pathfinder, players have like, it, 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 it's like a game outside the game. There is a multitude of things that players get to research, investigate, look at, stack bonuses and things like that. And so, yeah, if if what is important to your players, right? is that they like to be able to mess and fiddle with their characters between games and you switch it to fate. Um, you've now wiped out a chunk of that. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that will like maybe certain parts of the game play smoother, but like you said, Jerry, somebody might be like, Oh, well, I really like, like I like the, the aspects and stuff, but I miss being able to tweak my character. 
there's a challenge I'm going to toss out there to our to our chat room and to the Slack room later on. A game system I would love to convert and don't know what to convert it to, but I want to keep the same uh, subtext would be a game Mechton. I like the original Mechton, but I've always had trouble finding a game system that gives me better rules while still keeping the feel of Mechton. So if somebody out there has a decent Mecha game that has some fiddliness to it, let me know. Anyway, Bob? Yeah, so before we go to break, Jerry, what's uh, do, do we have any final advice we want to give before we move on? Yeah, we're going to hit a couple simple things to be aware of be that as you're converting an old game over. And this has our standard list disclaimer. These are not all the things you need to be aware of, and these are in no particular order. But, Phil? I feel like we need a thing that's like standard list disclaimer. Ding. Like something, you know what I mean? Like some like little harmony thing with a bell at the end. Anyway, um, the first one is the nostalgia trap. Uh, we've talked about this in past episodes. I'm pretty sure we talked about it in 442 in August. Beware of the lore of nostalgia versus something being good. Mm-hmm. Um, it is entirely possible that your source game actually isn't that good um, or that it wasn't actually that much or, or that it actually wasn't that much fun as a system. You're just remembering the nostalgia of when you played it. Um, so try to look at things objectively. Not every game is awesome and you know needs to be converted. Second thing is remember that conversions are not always perfect the first time. I'm going to go as far as saying they're rarely perfect the first time. I would agree. Um, conversion is game design, and game design is is rarely perfect the first time either. I would say it's almost never perfect the first time Correct. through. Um, and it's possible you need to do some fine-tuning after you convert it. And this is why it's a good idea to do some playtesting and have fun with it. Even though you won't. You're not going to playtest. But I understand. I'm just telling you you should. Um, okay. Not everything is going to convert well. Um, Not everything in the source game converts into something that's usable into the destination game. Some things are going to be intrinsic to the system they were created in. And when you take them out to try to convert them, they just don't. Um, And you may just, as you're doing your conversion, have to lose a few things, right? Your conversion from from, uh, Pathfinder to your, you know, your, your Pathfinder fantasy game to your fate fantasy game, you're just going to lose the character fiddliness part because when you try to make fate characters super fiddly with extra, like a whole bunch of extra stuff, like levels and whatever, like it just doesn't work. Like it didn't like, we're just saying it didn't work. Um, I'm not saying it can't, I'm just saying it probably won't. Um, And you just might have to just let go of that piece, right? That might just be like, yes, I was able to convert all this stuff, but the characters aren't very fiddly, just as. So some pieces you may just have to let go of. Then you may also lose a subtext once you do your conversion. Because subtext is tricky. When it's well done uh, and it's expressed the sitting, excuse me, when done well, it's expressed the setting and the system and the situation. But the subtext isn't easy to convert over once you change mechanics and systems. When you start to convert some or all of these, you may lose that subtext entirely. And only you're going to know if the changes in the game are changes that affect it in a negative way. Um, a good example of this is, as I said, um, part of what makes a game like Mechton work is the um, kind of the, the point-based building system and the kind of clunky mecha rules. And converting that over too much, you might lose a little bit of it. Uh, it also depends on what kind of game you're running. Um, and it also depends on the complexity. It's much easier to convert from a game like Village of Atlantis into a game like Face Rip 
than it is to convert from a game like Face Rip into a game like Vinyl Vigilantes. Because Face Rip has some some much uh, particular ways the game is played with Karma and that where V&V is basically just D&D with superheroes. So there's a different kind of feel for something. Um, can I go from uh, champ? Can I go from champions to masks? Like, is that a? Um, is, yes. is that actually that would that would work fairly well because the powers in masks are so loosely defined that it wouldn't. I actually think champions to masks would be easier than masks to champions. Yeah, um, masks mm-hmm. to champions. You'd have to actually then go and define all your powers, like yeah. explicitly yeah. define your powers. That's why it would be so much more difficult. To convert from master converting anything into champions is to, i've when i was in college one of the things we used to do as is kind of a fun thing we were just sitting around with nothing to do at night was we'd sit and we'd, we'd make up champions characters and then we would convert them into whatever superhero game we were playing because building a character in champions you ended up with a very balanced character you know that had so you could kind of you could fine-tune a character to do exactly what you wanted it to do and then it was up to me as gm to work with them to convert it over to another system and then we put it on the stack of characters to play someday, which showed up sometime at some point, which we played all of our characters. Sometimes there were some PCs, but anyway, that kind of thing works. I, I like it. I like the idea of that. Um, but trying to keep that subtext going along um, because different games do different things in different ways and different people always have to, you know, I still talk to people who love champions because they're favorite superhero game of all time. And that's great. Um, I even know I people understand. who like Heroes Unlimited. Was that? I don't understand, and I, I can't comprehend your statement about building a character in Champions that does exactly what you want it to do, because oh, I Bob's, was never Bob's able got to his do challenge. That. I'll tell you right now, oh. I sat down with Champions, and I tried to make Spider-Man. You could not make Spider-Man in Champions without being way the hell out of overblown and completely like outside oh, well, the rules. Well, 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 you, well, you have to, just as with any game system that's point-based, you also have to work within the point value you're trying to do. And the problem with Spider-Man is that where, like, Cyclops can shoot energy beams. Captain America is tough and has a shield and is good at skills. Punisher has guns. Spider-Man has a ridiculous number of, of, of powers. And to be honest, he's one of the, if you talk to people who talk about superhero games, one of the common threads that I've seen in multiple game systems is Spider-Man is the tough one to convert uh, at street level or whatever level he's at because he's got, like three times as many powers as anybody else. It's like trying to make that Superman. That is definitely true. That is definitely yeah. true. But so, so I couldn't even get have the to... core essence of Spider-Man within the point values that that we were working with. Like, like you couldn't even get he's he's agile, he's fast, and he's um, strong. Like, I, like I could not build Spider-Man to the point oh, where I was like, I'm going I c- to play him. I I could. <clears throat> It, it, with a 100-point character, I could build a character who could, I don't know if I could have him lift 10 tons, but definitely lift like 5 tons, agile, faster reaction speed than somebody else, would have uh, heightened detection skills, the ability to climb walls, and a couple of small Omni gadgets. You could do all that. It's all in, you'd have to build them all, though, as part of, um, it's all the, 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 the pluses and minuses. The key to yeah. champions is how to bundle powers together. And you yes. could bundle a bunch of them into like spider powers. Yeah. That you could do. All you right. Yeah, before, go ahead. Anyway. before this before this show accidentally turns into a champions podcast, <laughs> I'm gonna put a cap on this bad boy. That's right okay. Here. It's Take a great it to idea. the after show. Oh, it's All a great, right. it's a great idea though. Go ahead. All right. That's our look at converting old games into newer systems. But 
before we're going to take a break and check with the chat room. But first, Bob's going to tell us about another show on the Mr. to Mark Network. Yeah. So tonight we're going to talk about Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. This is the show where Jesse and Robert take monthly deep dives into the dark sun setting and discuss it across all editions of D&D. And one of these days I'm going to play a dark sun game. One of these days. All right. So the chat room. Yeah. The, um... The chat room. We had a we had a brief uh, a brief run earlier where we were just making sewing puns, so that was a thing. Yes. I, <laughs> I watched that go by. I'm like, what the hell is going on in there? Yes, it's one of those things where you see it happening and you're like, what just happened? Like, <laughs> bunch of dad oh, pun boy. jokes in there. Um, Evil John uh, uh, once tried to convert uh, Middle Earth role playing into Honey Heist, and that didn't go well. <laughs> I think it'd be hilarious. Honey heist to take the ring to the to the, yeah. to, the there you go. to the mountain. Hobbit heist. Hobbit yes, heist. Hobbit heist. There you go. You're all you're all playing Urukai trying to get the hobbits to back to Sauron. So um <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We can do this. We just have to put our minds. We can do that. It. Yep. Uh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to don't be afraid to make those wild conversions. Like just definitely yeah, take a wild swing. You never know what you're going to get. Um, right. What else? Um, Queen Senda has actually done a conversion from fourth edition into Fate Accelerated. Which, I mean, that's you know, right on brand for her. That's yeah, 100% on brand. But, uh, yeah, again, if if that's the uh, if that's the direction that you want to go and you're happy with the because that's that's a case that's like a Pathfinder to Pathfinder to Fate. You're taking a lot of fiddly and you're cutting a lot of fiddly stuff out and just throwing it away. Yeah. Because that's, absolutely. that's how that works. I um, I went the opposite direction. I took um, the theatrics Ironwood role-playing game and converted it into uh, fusion fantasy. So we're talking Mechton cyberpunk fantasy from a theatrics uh, no dice rolling game. Yeah. I'm not saying it was super successful, but we did it. So <laughs> have fun with it. I mean, I, I enjoy that kind of thing. I'll be honest, converting games is something I enjoy doing. Even if we never play them, I enjoy them. I mean, that's, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with yeah, that at all. Wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I got into, you know, when I had a lot more free time, I, I loved doing, um, I loved doing conversions of stuff mm-hmm. or, cool. you know, also emulations. Actually, probably, I probably did more emulations than I did um, conversions. Like I would see a movie and then uh, I'd make the palladium stats for that thing. Oh That's yeah, cool. you know, or or the face yeah, rip stats the or what? Yep. Like emulation was probably one of my favorite um, uh, pastimes as a kid. Yep. I I still will sometimes convert characters from other game systems into face rip, just because it's it's interesting to see how they convert. Um, and going back to my thing from a couple weeks ago, another good way to try to understand a game is try to take a character from an existing game system and try to convert it into the new game you're playing, and see how you would do that because it might help you understand how the mechanics work better so cool cool all right well let's pop back into the next segment where we hit the round table and uh, continue the discussion about converting old games and uh, phil why don't you throw question one out actually it's not really a question question number one um and this is going to set the discussion for tonight name an old game you'd like to convert and why I will start first. I would like to convert Star Frontiers. Yeah. I think it's got a great setting with a lot of fun sourced books, but the mechanics are mediocre. They're not horrible. They're just not great. They're very bland mechanics. Agreed. Uh, All right. 
and I think it would I think it would do with uh, with an updated uh, set of mechanics. Hundred percent, Bob. Cool. Let's jump to Phil first. We'll do mine last because I had trouble. Okay. Underground. You know, you knew before mm-hmm. you even said it. Underground. Yep. Um, I love the setting. I love the situation. I love the subtext of this game so much. Um, I don't hate the mechanics of this game. I don't love the mechanics of this game. They're the, um, oh, I forget the name for them, but they're the ones that DC Heroes used with the um, with the table and shit like that. I'll oh, look up the name yeah. of it later. Um, it's the one with units where each, yep. you, you know, like units are everything. Units are distance, time, volume of information, yeah. weight, um, yep. all of that. It's an yep. interesting, it's an interesting 90s system. I don't, I don't love it. So um, I think I would enjoy underground a lot more with um, some more modern mechanics um, and ones where I could tell, uh, I could use those mechanics to kind of tell more dramatic stories. There you go. What'd you got, Bob? Yeah. So I, uh, I was having trouble. So I went and I opened up my folder of, of RPGs and started scrolling through looking for old games that, uh, that I enjoyed that, that might be worth a, a thing. And, uh, I, I, I kind of settle on two uh, possibilities, one of them being Whispering Vault. Um, but see, yeah. the thing is, I haven't played Whispering Vault in a long time. <laughs> I don't know if the mechanics will hold up, but my, my, my theory is that the mechanics could do for a little modernization. But looking the over mechanics... what was there, I'm like, you know, I don't know where you go The mechanics go are not fantastic. They're not terrible. No, they're not. They don't hinder the game in any way. Um, It's a dice pool game where you like pull together a bunch of dice. um, You rolled them and added up the number. Um, The kind of interesting thing was like if you used modern weapons. So there was a rule in there called die cap, which was um, certain dice above a certain number didn't count. Um, So like if you try to um, if you are um, mundane and you try to attack the supernatural you are die capped at 5 none of yeah. your um none of your dice like any of your dice above 5 i think just didn't count i don't think they even shifted yeah, down to the 5 the sixes just didn't didn't do anything they just didn't do anything the the i think the draw to that game is really like the setting and situation of that game is really yep. the that's the very compelling setting game. and situation yeah. the other clunky thing about the mechanics when i was looking through them was that you had, um, it was clunky figuring out damage. Like you would do, like somebody would do like 24 points of damage and then you divide that by the fortitude of the target. And that's the actual number of points. Like there was math involved. It wasn't, it wasn't simple. So something like that, you know, a simplified, more modern system would probably still be able to give you the feel of that game. Uh, with no trouble. But then the yep. other one that suddenly sparked my interest when I saw it on my list of games was All for One. Yeah. Now, All for One is a swashbuckling musketeer game with a little mm-hmm. magic thrown in, which would yep. be interesting to try and do. Um, but it used the ubiquity system. Sure did. Now, here's the thing about the ubiquity system. They had special ubiquity dice. Where there was three different sets, three different colors, the whites, the blues, and the reds. And I forget which ones were which. But essentially, um, one of them, the best you could do was one success. 
One of them, the best you could do was two successes. And one of them, the best you could do was three successes. And that's what Mm -hmm. the numbers on the die were. They were the number of successes. So if you rolled the red die and you got a three, you got three successes towards your action. Correct. But they're just, I just every time we played that, it just was like I like uh, I didn't I didn't like it the actually, feel of it. It didn't have um, it didn't have good fencing mechanics. Which I mean, you're yeah. playing a game about musketeers, yes. and the fencing mechanics weren't that much fun. It was a problem. Ironically, all for one is also its own conversion. Because I believe, if I remember correctly, there is a Savage Worlds version of that game. I believe they converted that would, that themselves into Savage me. And Savage Worlds yeah. is obviously a decent fit for that because, you know, you can definitely get swashbuckly in Savage Worlds. Um, yeah. It would also work, I think, um, converting it into Fate. Fate would be a, a pretty easy way to do a swashbuckly. Oh, totally fun. I mean, we, well, don't get ahead of ourselves because we're yeah. going to so talk is, about that. But, 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 but this, 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 this is the swashbuckling game that you're talking about, though. Yeah. Yes. I would I would also toss out there just as a thought uh, honor plus intrigue mm-hmm. would would be a good I have game. No idea what that is. That. I will tell you that there is a second edition Savage Worlds All for One that is on <laughs> oh, drive through. Okay, interesting. So, like 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 you are not you are not wrong to say to convert yeah. it from Ubiquity because so did they. Yeah. Now, <laughs> one more note about the Ubiquity system before we move on to the next question: you can play a ubiquity game without the special dice. Yep. You build a die pool and you have multiple dice. You can use standard D sixes. They said you can actually just go with your entire fleet of polyhedral dice. And it doesn't matter which ones you, which ones you roll. You basically take a handful of dice, whatever your pool is, and you call odds or evens and you roll them and you just count up. If you said odds, you just count up all the odds and that's how many successes you got. Which, yeah, the idea, the idea of the dice with the one, two, and three successes on them was so that you didn't have to roll such a massive pile of dice. It was supposed to simplify the dice pool, shorten up the number of dice that you had to roll. But for some reason, just it, there was a weird feel to it, and I just never got into it. And I don't know if it would be different if I had a bigger dice pool. I, like I, I don't know, but because there are games with dice pools that I really enjoy, where like I got this handful of dice I'm rolling. You know, so maybe that was it for me. Instead of rolling three dice, like if I was rolling eight, maybe it would have been a better fit for me. But I don't know, because we never actually tried that game with that. So, all right, enough pounding that one into the dirt. Let's go. I like I like your two. choices. I know you you may say you struggled on your choices for games. I think they're both I think they're both excellent choices. They are for this conversation. Very good uh, examples. All right. Our next question is, and we've kind of gotten this far already, but. What system would you convert your previously mentioned game into and why? So, Bob, we'll go right back to you because you were already on a roll. Yeah, so because because we um, uh, um, we don't want to talk about both of them the whole time because that will just stretch things out. I'm just going to lean on all for one at the moment and say I would I would try and put this game into fate and see how well we could do what, what all for one did in Ubiquity with the fate system. That would be an interesting challenge, I think. Yeah. I, I I think it would be a fabulously fun fate game. Mm-hmm. Good. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yep. I think fate's got all nice. the, uh, enough pieces that you'd be able to 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 touch all of the different uh, uh, mechanics and systems that they had for those characters. What about yours? Phil? Well, 
Um, all right. So I'm going to convert underground uh, into cortex because I've actually already once converted it into fate and wanted to pick something different. Um, so I, I would do cortex. Um, I think it'll, I think it would work really well, actually. Um, cortex has already been used for super hero games before. So I don't have to worry about it handling the superpowers part. Um, in fact, um, powers like superpowers are actually one of the character building blocks. So I don't even have to, um, I don't even have to like really hard convert those. I can just kind of look to see if I like all the superpowers they have the um, in underground, the superpowers were fairly low powered. Um, you could be ridiculously strong. You could have really thick um, like armored skin, but like no one had like power cosmic, like no one could break the earth or had gravity powers or anything like that. The um, other powers you had were like more street level. Um, so like maybe claws, maybe a poison touch, um, a sonic blast, something like that. Nothing, nothing too outrageous, but honestly, for my conversion, I'm probably not going to map the powers one-to-one. The powers aren't really the super interesting thing about that game. If the cortex power list is interesting, maybe I just knock a few of the overpowered ones off the list and just roll with the rest of them. Um, the other really cool thing will be the building blocks for what components are going to make up a character in the original game. You had stats, you had skills and you had powers. Um, You could easily do that in cortex, but maybe what might be more interesting is like the values um, or um, actually to borrow the block. And I forget the name of the actual block, but to borrow the one from Marvel heroic, um, the one that is, are you acting as a team as a partner or by yourself? Um, that one could be really neat for, um, for converting the game, um, because, you know, maybe you have problems working as a team, but you're perfectly fine. Um, you know, going off being Wolverine, you know, kind of doing your thing. So I think there'd be some really cool pieces to that. And then with cortex, you just, you have all the mods. So after that, then I'm just looking at which mods make the most sense. Um, trauma is going to be the mod that I'm absolutely going to put into this game. Um, because there was um, a big component about um, these characters having psychological issues and trauma associated with um, the conversion of them becoming superheroes and the stuff that they did as superheroes. So I'm, you know, I'm definitely interested in looking at some of those, some of those mods for the damage system to uh, be able to put those things in as well. That's, that's what I really like about the idea for Cortex. And I do think, I, I, I really feel like Cortex would be a pretty cool fit for Underground. So much so that that's going to happen at one point in our, you know, next year or so, we're going to wind up playing Underground Cortex style. That's going to just for that. So, um, Jerry, um, Star Frontiers has already been converted into Savage Worlds. It easily could have been a Fate or Cortex game, but I like your choice here. Um steering away from the quote new where are you where are you converting um where are you converting this game into they rip marvel and the reason is because almost all of the things that would make the characters different can be easily done with powers and skills um the abilities of the species would be easy to make um yazarian gliding with their little wings the extra arms and legs that that the dralocytes get um the Vrusk successive logic, all of those could just be a low-level superpower that you just assign an ability to. 
Um, stats and gear fit very well into the game. Um, the various uh, stats in Star Frontiers aren't really all that complicated. They were generally a combination of both a characteristic and an application of that characteristic. So you had things like logic um, and um, uh, logist- uh, sorry, intellect and logistics. So it was how smart you are and how well you apply it. Those could all just be done as skills. Um, it's already got rules for things like body armor and force field and jet packs and stuff like that. Um, skills already exist, and the skills for Facebook Marvel, even with the Ultimate Powers book, are pretty broad. You know, you've got things like geology, science, military weapons, things like that. So you don't have to narrow them down too much. Um, and lastly, the ships and vehicles are pretty simple. Um, in the original Star Frontiers, starships were just a backdrop. And even the vehicles themselves had some very basic stats, and they'd be easy to do with the vehicle rules that are existent face rip. Um, one of the things about face rip Marvel was that despite all of the pages and pages of gadgets and vehicles and how do you build a base and that kind of stuff, the focus was always on the characters being the most important part. And with a little modification of the karma rule, that would fit just as well because it's still about the things you do. Um, and the other thing about Marvel face rip is that the karma system, whether you use it as written or as you, or if you separate it from experience, still puts the heavy emphasis on being the good guys. And in Star Frontiers, you're supposed to be the good guys, stopping the Sathar. That game, while you could play pirates in that, nothing they did in that game was designed towards that. No. Every single thing they put out was, you are the people that are defending the frontier and the Pang- and, and Pangalactic against the Sathar and the pirates that... They were, those were always the bad guys. You were never fighting the good guys ever. Even in any of the modules, you never accidentally like stumbled upon somebody and accidentally attacked a good guy. And I think the face rip, the way that game is designed leads in that direction as well for all the rewards you get for backgrounds and stories and helping people and fulfilling and fulfilling commitments and things like that. So I think it would, and I think it would be an easy conversion. I don't think it would, I think like three pages of notes, you could run Star Frontiers and face rip Marvel. So I, I I would 100% play that conversion. Like, it, it, I mean, it, it is, you're not kidding when it is, it is, that is a totally playable conversion that actually would convert really clean. Like it would, like you said, it would not be hard because you can just, so many of those things you can just lift right out of the um, face rip rules without like hardly converting it. Just basically being like, um, it's going to be this power, but at excellent, like, the only oh. thing I think that would be interesting in that is that the because of the comic booky method of combat that the game works, that how they how they how that um, the combat system for Face at Marvel wouldn't necessarily represent the combat system of Star Frontiers, but it would represent all of the art from Star Frontiers. Yes, <laughs> there you go. Okay. Yes. Because because you look at the Good art, point. there are things there are things like Dralocytes throwing uh, dog monsters around, and Gazarians, you know, flying in and shooting people and stuff. Very pulpy cinematic action, which you can't actually do with the Star Frontiers rules, yeah. but you could very easily do with Marvel face rip. <laughs> so anyway, I just think it'd be fun to do it that way. So I, Gary, if you did I that conversion, a... I would play a one shot of that and potentially more. I, I totally would, would as well. I would almost play. I would almost run the initial adventure because the original, the initial adventure from Star Frontiers would actually run really well for face rip. Crash on Voltaire, on Volturnus. Oh, yeah, calls Crash on Volturnus. Slide that right yeah. over yeah. to the back burner because that's. I think that's something oh, we may need to revisit. Oh, it's there. 
That's I. I would definitely be interested in that. All right. Cool. All right. Bob, question, question three. three. Right. Name some things that would be important to convert from the old system into the new system. Yeah. I talked a little bit about this um, for underground in the beginning, right? I don't think I need to convert powers directly. I like the idea of just using the cortex power list. The one mechanic that I absolutely love in underground, and I think it is one of the reasons why it is to this day, my favorite, one of my favorite RPGs. And I think one of the um, most underrated RPGs is that um, it had, and again, this is a game that was made in 1992 or 93 had mechanics for social change. There were mechanics in the game where you could spend your XP to make your neighborhood better. If this sounds remotely familiar coming out of my mouth, it is because all of the um, Hydro Hacker rules about neighborhoods were all inspired by this game, right? I think I've been very open about that for a long time. So I think you could very easily make this happen in Cortex. What I'm thinking is, all right, so in the original game, so I'm gonna give you the source mechanic, right? Source mechanic, um, you spend points. Um, you had different ratings in different areas of the neighborhood, safety, take-home pay, health, those kinds of things. And you could change one by investing points and like experience points and doing like a story-related thing to increase, say, health. Like we're going to make the neighborhood more healthy by hijacking um, a truck full of vaccines and you know, giving them out, like vaccinating people. Cool. Okay. And then the catch was all of the stats were linked. So if you raised one, it lowered another one, right? So it's like a little bit of a catch 22. Every time you made something better, it made something a little worse. And you kind of had to kind of jump from spinning plate to spinning plate, right? We'll let health decline a little because we want, um, I don't know, um, take home pay to go up or something. Okay. So if I'm doing this in Cortex, right, I need something, um, I need something similar. The milestone system, the milestone mod in Cortex allows players to earn experience points and then to buy things with their experience points. That, I think, will be the basis of my um, neighborhood system in Cortex. And then my neighborhood, I'm just going to give it stats. Um, Very similar in the way, like, you know, you make all things into a fate character in fate. Uh, I'm going to make the neighborhood its own Cortex character which is going to have stats that are different than the characters that the players play, but I'm going to have, I'm going to have like a set of stats, like happiness, health, whatever. And they're going to be rated at a certain um, die level, I think, right. This is how I'm feeling the game would go. And then um, what you would be able to do is using your experience points from your milestone and some, you know, and some story, you'd be able to raise those dice, right. Um, so you could, you know, we're going to take our D6 take home pay. We're going to help everybody get, you know, better pay or whatever. And we're going to increase that to a D8 take home pay. That would work perfectly fine as is, right? I could just kind of set that up with some rules that, you know, when you raise one, you have to lower another one or whatever. Um, but I think what would then bring it around full turn is that once per story, I think the GM, like, I think the GM does a challenge against the neighborhood uh, against one of the stats in the neighborhood. Like something happens like um, a predatory loan, you know, shop opens up, you know, like one of those paycheck places that, you know, 
um, you know, says they're going to, you know, advance you your paycheck, but they really just like, you know, screw you out of your money. Um, and I, you know, cool, you know, make a, you know, let's, let's make a check against take home pay. Um, and if it was unsuccessful, it'd be like, okay, well take home pay one goes down. Um, and two, um, the neighborhood is injured because of this. And that would be the thing that like would like spur on stories because each, you know, like you have your own stories that the players are doing or whatever, but the neighborhood is undergoing um, changes sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse um, based on these challenges that happen uh, each, you know, each beginning of each story. So that that's where I'm going. I think that's where I'm heading for uh, like, if I was doing this conversion, um, to me, that's the that's a mechanic that I very much want to find a way to convert and find a way to incorporate into the game on a regular basis. Otherwise, it's just superpower ex soldiers punching people, and there's some, and that's okay to a point, but it's going to lose some of the subtext of the game. Okay. Cool, kick it to Jerry. All right, for me, converting over is going to be pretty straightforward. Um, for the weapons um, and gear, some of them I would just assign powers because some of the things in the game. Um, like the vibro glove and the beam saber and, and some of the sonic weapons would have some actual abilities to them, like shock or whatever. And just have to actually tag them on and decide at what power level they're going to be. Um, for the vehicles, I would just take the existing vehicles and make a roster using the stats from the game. It'd be pretty straightforward. There are some iconic vehicles in Star Frontiers, like the air kit, like the air, air car or the Explorer. Um, I mean, basically, if you've seen the cover of the first two Star Frontiers books, the Larry Elmore art, you've seen the vehicles. They're very iconic. Um, depending on whether you use the Alpha Dawn rule set or the Zebulon's Guide rule set, which gave much more advanced skills, I'd have to decide which ones to have. But just basically going through and assigning skills or specialties and deciding which ones are there. And some skills might end up being little powers. Um, the nice thing about skills in uh, Face Rip is that pretty much a skill just gives you um, the ability to do basic stuff, and then if you want to use it, it just adds a uh, a bump on the chart to your whatever whatever you're using. So whether it's a um, a reason ability or an into, or an intuition ability or a psyche ability or or even an agility stat, you simply get a it gives you plus one or plus two column shifts. And so it'd be easy to make a character who's very good at something. You want to make a character who's just a really good scientist, you give them a bunch of science skills and give them all bumps to their science ability, which isn't going to overbalance the game, but it's going to be successful more often. Um, and lastly, just going through all the species. Um, the, the four core ones, which are human, Dralocyte, Vruska, Nazarian, and then adding things like the Ulmor from the Volturnus module and um, the Mechanoids and the ones that were from the, uh, the Zebulon's Guide and that, again, species in... Star Frontiers are really um, basically a bonus to one stat, a penalty to another stat, and some very, very low-level ability. Um, like you, could, like the Huma can can hop, can jump higher. The Drellocytes can have extra arms. The Azarians can glide, um, that sort of thing. And so it would be a simple power they all have at a very basic level and allow players to, to buy that up a little bit. That'd be it. Like the conversions would not take that much time. Um, and because the spaceships, unless you want to get into a tactical thing, and that was the the book on spaceships for Star Frontiers was really just a tactical board game for starships. It's really what it, uh -huh. what it became. 
Yep. There was really there was really not much role playing to it. It was almost all just tactical tactical battles, which were fun. But you wouldn't if you were going to bother doing that in Facebook, you would just drag out the old game and play the t- play the the tactical board game if you wanted to do tactical board games as opposed to sure. just you know you fly around with ships and do things. Yeah, flying around in ships wasn't really the the focus of um, nope. Star Frontiers. Like like g- going places wasn't the big thing. It was like oh well, you're at the place. Yeah. Like. Yep. The the and the thing about Star Frontiers is that the one thing they did not have was a decent starfighter because no, the, no, the, the it was all like the, capital ships and stuff. Yep. The smallest like weapon you could put on a starfighter sized ship was like a three shot rocket, and that was it. Yeah. So you didn't you didn't have now you could easily you could easily do that with something like face rip because it'd be easy enough just to scale down the weapon so they didn't become overpowering. You know, you give you give the you know starfighters have a remarkable attack ability with a with a with a laser beam, and they get you know incredible one incredible rocket shot, and that's it. That's all you you know. Like I said, just be slap a number on it and walk away. Um, so uh, that's why I still think face rip was kind of before ahead of its time when it came to making very general things you just slap a number on and walk away from it. Um, made it easy to run. Something that I think other games to build off of. So that's what I would do for Star Frontiers. It'd be a, a pretty quick run through. Bob, what cool. would you do? Yeah, so this is outside my wheelhouse. This is definitely not. You guys are the are the, are definitely the uh, the designer slash. Uh, Let me jump in. Uh, yeah. So, um, but <clears throat> the things that um, that definitely stand out for me, all for one had um, point by skill lists, right? <laughs> Which you know, skill list is a skill list, no matter what game you put it in. So that's that's easy. But they had skill specializations as well. Um, so you'd have to probably account for that because um, you could you could break things down. Uh, let me pull this up real quick because I've got my character my old character sheet up on. Uh, so like my character had uh, the acrobatic skill, and I had a specialization in tumbling, for example. And any specialization that you got was at a rating one higher than whatever your normal skill rating was. So my acrobatics was at four, my tumbling was at five. All right, there you and go. And we're going we're going fade on this guy, right? Yeah, we're going fade on this. Okay. Yeah, that's easy. Right. So that that's gonna be a stunt. Is it gonna be a stunt though? Like stunt how many stunts stunt. are you gonna allow a character to have? Because there's I mean, other things that are So here's the thing. You can you can allow characters to have as many stunts as you want. You just have to balance it with um you gotta balance it with the um refresh economy. Right. Yes. Um, and that's but, where you but as long as you do it for everybody. Yeah. Like if everybody's on it the same works page. Out. Yeah. But a, a stunt um, is like, like, so you could do it a couple ways. You could do it as a, you could do, um, you could do it as a skill, right? So you could make your skill list, like all of the swashbuckly and occult things that you need for the game. Right. So you could just be like, mm-hmm. everybody has access to acrobatics. My character happens to have a plus four acrobatics. Right. Or my character has a plus two acrobatics and uh, a stunt that, you know, they get a plus two in acrobatics um, when fighting on moving vehicles, you know, like stagecoaches or, or yeah. you know, when, you know, or they get a plus two in acrobatics when fighting, like, as opposed to just, you know, sure. you got a couple options there, right? Yeah. Like there's some flexibility, but you're right. You don't want to, you don't want to create too many stunts because then you're kind of messing with refresh. Exactly. And uh, the magic system also ties into the skill list as well. You had to have, they had talents that you could buy. And one of the talents was magical aptitude, which was required for you to get any of the magic skills 
or to do any of the ritual casting or anything like that. Um, so then you've got different areas of magic that you could pick, which basically just expands the skill list out. Um, so that's not terrible. Um, they also had, um, they had a system of flaws that kind of stood out to me. And, um, and I don't know if you'd want to do anything with any of the secondary attributes because they had a bunch of uh, secondary attributes as well. But that flaws was might all... be an easy way to balance. Flaws might be an easy way to balance out the the extra stunts. Is attach some flaws to extra stunts. Yeah, it might is depend. There... They might also just be good trouble aspects. Mm-hmm. Would be the other place like flaws that, might fit depending on that, yeah. depending what I mean. on what that, they look like. I use the wrong terminology. That's what I meant was was trouble using giving extra trouble aspects using those flaws as trouble aspects to offset the the abilities so the thing i'll say about the magic system is that Mm -hmm. um there are a bunch of fate magic systems um that people have made and Mm -hmm. you probably could just kind of look at those and decide like which one um which one best fits the same you know like Mm -hmm. what which one looks the most like the magic system from you know from the original provide a similar feel for how it it comes off in play it may be mechanically yep. a little different, but, um, but yeah, the other thing you're probably going to run into if, if like you say, start looking at, at like extra trouble aspects is you might end up with some aspect bloat. So that's the thing you got to try and balance. And out. you definitely want to avoid aspect bloat. Um, yes. you don't want to have 25 is... aspects. That's <laughs> right. You're that's, like, nope. that's spirit of the century versus yes. <laughs> fate. You know, that's spirit of the century yeah. versus, um, uh, fate. So I yeah I definitely you don't you definitely don't want to have too many um, too many aspects. I think the big challenge thinking about that game. I think the big challenge is is there a good subsystem for swashbuckling? Yes. Or is it just going to essentially be fate combat? Now it could just be fate combat, and it would be fine because creating advantages and attacks and things like that would 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 work. But also you know, could you do like a, um, almost like a chase mechanic, like a tug of war thing where, um, you know, the way you see most swashbuckling fights is it's like a back and forth tug of war until somebody kind of throws the other one off balance and then gets a few, you know, deft strokes and takes them out kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, is there a place for something like that in there? It's, it's hard to say. And I think maybe people have taken a look at that. I'm going to actually take a quick look. Um, but, um, but that's a place where if you're having a musketeer game, like how cool, um, like how cool would it be to be able to do swashbuckling? Oh, absolutely. And oh, yeah. uh, another thing they I'm had, just, I just Googled it. There's some ideas out there. Yeah. Um, they also had, um, style points, which is dirt simple to, to, to bring over into fate. I mean, you just, <laughs> there, there should be no problem with that. Because um, you use style points, it's according to the rulebook, arguably the most important resource in the game. Style points may be spent to give your character a boost and allow him to perform extraordinary feats. Well, gee, <laughs> I mean that's already there. Yeah, those are fate. Of points. course, just thinking out loud here, your um, swashbuckling portion of this game, um, you can for fate, you should just um, lift directly out of PK Sullivan's um, three rocketeers. Exactly. Yes. Like that was one of the reasons like, why fate was one of my first thoughts for this. And that has uh, yeah. um, swashbuckling styles, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Sword play stunts. Sword play stunts. 
Um, the other yeah. thing, um, if you're going to do this, I would lean towards, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this is, uh, did, did he do this? Um, the, um, why can't I think of the word fate accelerated with the, um, uh, with the approaches, uh, the approaches. Sure. Um, you could totally do that. Um, PK actually did something different. Um, PK did, um, no skill fate. Yes. Um, which is, which is an interesting take. Um, and that would, um, I, I would say if you wanted to convert it, I would definitely just read it and see if you like that flavor of fate. I think it's actually a pretty innovative mm-hmm. idea, but you yeah. might want skills. Like you might just want skills to have, like to have yeah, them in, in the this game. particular instance, you might. Yeah. But, but for sure you should check out three rocketeers because, um, part of that setting is swashbuckling, although yep. swashbuckling paired with sci-fi. So you could just take a look and see what, what is Absolutely. liftable. Um, even if you keep skills, there's probably parts of this you could still lift out of here. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, cool stuff. Yeah, I like I'm, glad I, uh, I'm glad I found that one because, like I said, I, I had originally thought about Whispering Vault and I was like, eh, you know, like, I don't know. Like, for purposes of the of the conversation, it probably would have went fine. But then I was like, oh, all for one. Yeah, that ubiquity system was kind of like, eh, like, yeah, let's do I'll that. Tell you, I'll tell you, I not that I want to keep banging on the same drum, but I'm also pretty sure that... Um, Cortex would be pretty cool for Whispering Vault. Oh yeah. Game, another game I'd love to see. We, Bob and I talked about this the other night. That was that I'm not sure what system to convert it into. I always loved the books in the Blood Shadows series. The fiction mm. was great. The game was 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 not. I don't even know it was a bad game system. It just didn't let you do anything that the books in the fiction. The fiction wasn't emulatable in the game. That's yeah. Thought, yeah that's the problem. And I, and I thought the fiction was really cool. So uh, I'm not even going to say that, 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 the, that the master book system was a bad game system because I didn't play it enough times to, to get into it. I, we just converted it over to something else. But I'd love to see. I, there's a lot of game things out there. I think Fate would handle that very well also. So um, just kind of go where you go with these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, that's the chat room one last time. What are some things you'd like to see converted, everybody? Oh, uh, yeah. Schmitty, Schmitty named one of my favorite games that should have a Shadow conversion. <laughs> Shadowrun, baby. <laughs> That but is there's a new addition. It'll be true. different this time, baby. <laughs> oh, it's never different. What I have said before, I have said before that Shadowrun is the um, bad girlfriend that I keep going back to, and then you know I find all my stuff out on the lawn. Um, <laughs> what after... is the supplement for the sprawl that simulates Shadowrun? Oh yeah, there's somebody had a hack for that. It but was no, okay. No, it, it, it wasn't a hack. It was a. It was a supplement for it. We You're right. It was. A, it was a supplement. Because when um, you ran the sprawl, we played basically cyber. We played basically Shadowrun, and I thought the game played really well. We didn't lean very heavily into the magic side of it, but the magic rules weren't all that difficult to incorporate. Yeah. Hang on. I'll. Um, yeah. I got it. While we're talking about it, it's. Um, yeah. I think I, it's Touched Prime. Yeah. Yes, Touched Prime. It was actually. It's actually written by Hamish who wrote the sprawl. Yeah. yeah what I, I would, what, where we fell apart when we tried to run it was we actually tried to straight up play the, sh- the shadow run setting and it was okay, but touched prime is a little different than shadow run. It is still a fantasy um, yeah. conversion, but yeah, if you're um, Schmitty, I should just say this. If you're, if your GM is running shadow run, you really should just put a copy of uh, the sprawl in their hands. I think the sprawl mm-hmm. does a better job of doing jobs than 
than Shadowrun yep. does of of doing jobs. Definitely. Uh, we, we played it and had a ball with it. And uh, yeah. I, I thought it really went well. The jobs went well. The mm-hmm. interaction of the various character archetypes went well. Um, it, it is did, one of the best cyberpunk emulations yeah, as an yeah. RPG. And I say that as somebody who loves cyberpunk. So, Me too. Me too. Uh, 100%. Both capital C and, and lowercase C. So <laughs> Shmi uh, says their their GM is a grognard and it's not changing. That's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. All right. There, there's well, I think that uh it. I think that wraps this one up. All righty. All right. So that was our look at converting old game systems into new game systems. We hope that the next time you want to get that old box set converted into something more modern, some of this advice will have been helpful. All right, one more check with the chat room, and then it's off to the conversation corner. I think we actually we finished up the chat room before we came to it, because <laughs> the last uh, the last bunch of stuff was all about Shadowrun. So, so I think we're good there. <clears throat> okay, so let's do the good. conversation corner. All right, so my one thing for this week is uh, <laughs> I have been working on uh, the birthday dinner plan. Yeah. Because after two failed years, things have changed enough here that uh, we're at a comfort level where we're like, we'll feel comfortable going to a restaurant now and sitting down and having a meal. So we're going to go. Yeah, that window may close quickly after. Like, you know, if BA2 is really on the rise. Yeah. (laughs) But but right now might be just the time to get in there. We're going to try and seize the moment while we have it. Get our meat sweats. Yeah. So I've been uh, working on, you know, coordinating on. with who's going to show up and what time we want to have it and everything. And so earlier today, I set the reservation. So we've got a time and date booked and uh, next Tuesday night. So we're going to go get our meat sweats I'm excited. on. And, uh, looking forward to it very, very much. I'm eating strategically very, very that day. I'm going to um, I'm going to eat a um, full breakfast. I'm going to have a cup of noodles for lunch. Um <laughs> And then and then roll in to uh, roll into Texas Day Brazil. I'm going to I'm going to say this. You're going to yell at me, but I am um, in order to maximize my um, meat eating. Uh, I'm going to have to avoid the lobster bisque. It's an amazing lobster bisque, but it is it's so rich, rich that yes, that it, it could slow me down. I, however, so, never been to Texas Day Brazil. You could make an entire like three course meal out of the uh out of the salad bar alone oh without a doubt without a doubt the salad bar the salad bar is amazing um and is a giant distraction from eating the meat which is not to say there isn't anything quote unquote meat adjacent because they've got like the Mm -hmm. giant bowl of bacon for one thing yeah um they've got they've got some fish up there if you're a pescatarian (laughs) that grilled um that, the grilled provolone. Oh yeah, that's the on. Oh, provolone. that grilled provolone's really good. Anyway, but we're going to be gout, lobster bisque. We're going to be yeah. gorging ourselves. Is um, Wednesday will yeah. be a rough morning, guaranteed. <laughs> All right. Uh, everything else that's on my list, um, I actually played some No Man's Sky briefly for the first time in two weeks. I went like literally two whole weeks without playing. Um, uh, I finished up Parks and Recreation and uh, and then picked up um, Shit's Creek as my new half an hour show from Netflix. That's um, a, caught that up shows on a trip. Card. Yep. 
Um, and then we had a blown game night on Sunday, so we decided to hell with it. We watched the Disney Three Musketeers live action again with, uh, with uh, uh, now I can't think of the damn actors. The names. Disney, Chris O'Donnell, Chris O'Donnell, Charlie Sheen, Charlie Sheen, Chris O'Donnell, shrink to the size of a lemon bean. No, that's something else. That's Tim Curry, Tim Curry, uh, yeah, good stuff. Oliver good Platt, stuff. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I will never tire of that movie. I don't watch that any day. No. So. Oh, no, um, so and that, um, I think that, oh, I had, uh, finally had my, uh, my new dresser delivered today. So now I have like an actual bedroom set because <laughs> I was without, because I thought I didn't need it. Uh, but that's about it for me. So Jerry. Well, my one thing would be the movie night. So, um, like I said, we had a really good night to sit down. I mean, in traditional fashion, we sat around BSing and talking games and just, a nice night sitting around and chatting. It was a lot of fun. Um, the movie was a lot of fun. We also watched some other videos that Phil brought up. Um, but there was a couple of uh, excerpts from the West Wing and a bunch of other stuff. One of the nice things is Phil just casts from his phone to his TV. So we'll we'll finish something. We'll be talking about something and we're like, oh, that'd be really cool. And a minute later, Phil's brought it up and we just sat and so we had a lot of good chuckles. It was good to end the weekend with some laughs and everything. It just, I enjoyed just getting there and hanging out. Um, it was nice. It was nice. Yep. I, um, yeah. it was, it was, it was a good plan. We didn't even know we were going to watch it. I just, we were going through my NAS and, uh, Bob's like, I, I could watch three musketeers. And we were both like, yes. So could yes. we. Yes. We could always watch three musketeers. Actually, what that's one of the things we watched is we watched the, uh, the D'Artagnan meets the musketeers scene from the steampunk musketeers. And, um, hmm. which, which, which is rapidly becoming another Guilty Pleasures movie that I like a lot. Um, <laughs> that one is truly a Guilty Pleasure movie because it, it's it's not good. Like it's, but it's not bad. It's just not It's not, not bad. It, 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 is, um, it, it is very much, it is just, I don't know, it's its own thing and it's amusing. Like it is. It's it's and it's got some good acting and some good some good characterizations and a bunch of of hey I know that guy actors in that movie. Um so you know uh was it Logan Lerman plays D'Artagnan and the Musketeers are uh Ray Stevenson, um I can't ever think of the other guy's name, uh, Matthew McFadden, I can't remember the third guy. Um but you'd recognize him. He's a he, he's played the villain in one of the Fast and Furious movies and so on. You got Mads Mickelson and uh, just a bunch of great actors. So anyway, that was my one thing. Um, I also played some No Man's Sky. Uh, Bob and I got on and we played Valheim for the first time in in like a month and uh, found a nice cave. Uh, been watching Justified and Picard and Disco. Um, obviously, did some more Lego. Um, so my major thing. And Friday, we did board games. Um, our regular role-playing game group on Friday uh, had a couple of dropouts. We just played some board games, and uh, that's always fun. Glenn Siler always had – Glenn and uh, John and Deb always have really good board game nights. And they have a board game room the way I have a role-playing game room. That's um, cool. Yeah, they actually have a, a full game table and the whole thing. So um, their whole front room is designed for gaming. And so – it, it, it's you sit down and they've got walls of games kind of organized by theme um they've got small games big games long games short games whatever so anyway that's my that's my short version of the conversation corner phil cool um my big my one big thing is um william gibson's book agency um this is the second in the jackpot trilogy 
Um, the first one being uh, the peripheral, uh, which I believe has been optioned for a Amazon Prime series, which means I'm going Ooh. to have to um, get or steal Amazon Prime when <laughs> it comes out because I'm going to have to see that. Um, I started reading this book in March of 2020 and for obvious reasons uh, failed to get it finished um, as you know, my mental health spiraled down the drain during the 2020 I have since then tried two more times to get this book read. The book is great. The problem is Phil. Um, but just the other night I broke it back out, started over. Um, and I've gotten into a really nice, um, evening routine of making myself a cup of tea reading for a half hour or so, and then um, putting the book down and playing some No Man's Sky. Like it's getting into a nice little routine doing it. And I've been making some progress through the book. So I'm, um, <clears throat> I'm excited and hopeful that this is the um, take where I finish the book. I really want to finish this book. Um, for people who haven't read the um, Jackpot trilogy, I, I think as Gibson writing goes, these might be my favorite stories next to the sprawl trilogy. So the original, um, the original three, I think it's brilliant sci-fi, very cool stuff. Um, other things I finished Ted Lasso. Mm, amazing. I'll, I'll talk about it in the after show or something. I've been playing a bunch of no man's sky. Um, mostly just screwing around doing odd jobs and stuff, avoiding the main storylines. Um, yep. played some long live the queen, um, with the queen. Um, and, um, that game's going great. Three Musketeers with you guys. I caught up on Disco. Um, I binged the um, four or so episodes I was behind. Oh, boy. Um, with hmm. that last episode being one of the um, coolest Star Trek episodes I've seen in a while. Like Star Trek. Like that last episode of Disco was a very Trek episode. Very cool. Um, and watch the first episode of Picard, which also, who boy. Um, way <laughs> to open that series up. Yep. So um, yeah. all in all, good stuff. Um that's me. That's me. What, um, you think it's time to bounce? That's it. Let's bounce. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, we hit our, our roughly 90 minute mark. So we're doing pretty good. <clears throat> yeah. So roll that us, brings us, roll us the, out of here. Yeah. That brings us to the Patreon shout out. So <clears throat> thank you so much to Rory McLeod, Savannah Sizer, Steve Bissonette, Steve Radabaugh, T. Kustic, Theodore Atkinson, Tom Hay, Victor Wyatt, Ryan Megala, and Matthew Schrader. And thanks to everyone for listening tonight. If you are free on Tuesday evenings, 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. The Queen's Time, you're welcome. Come join us live on Twitch, where you can chat with the other listeners in the awesome chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. And if you can't make the live show, check out our podcast each week, wherever you get your podcasts. And take a listen to some of the other shows in the Mr. Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Mastering Dungeons, Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, The FM Gamers, Pandas Talking Games, The Gnomecast, Jean Ku Hustle, The Lounge, Bonus Experience, and the awesome back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and the always amazing Gaming and BS. Before you get that fresh conversion to the table for some play, reach out to us. You can reach us directly via the old-fashioned emails at mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Check us out on the Twitters, the show, the network. That's at misdirectedmark. He's Robert M. Everson. He's GM Gerrymander. I'm DNA Phil. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. 
MMP Mastering Dungeons and Panda Stocking Games are at patreon.com slash MMP. Zhangu Hustle is at patreon.com slash Zhangu Hustle. And Bonus Experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP Mastering Dungeons and Panda Stocking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Misdirector Mark production. The media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out.